This message was recorded during a conference for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Well, haven't we had a good time? Oh my goodness. You know, I am so impressed with your church. I, you are a culture of gratitude. There are not many churches uh, that Ray and I visit where people can say thank you truly, deeply, from their hearts, effortlessly. And you do that. I'm sure your leadership has led you in that. We thank you, pastors and pastors' wives here. But that is a wonderful grace, that you can come outside of yourself to say thank you. I know that both Julie and I have experienced that, and, and we thank you for the privilege of being here. We count it an honor, I know I speak for Julie as well, to come and share with you. You have eager hearts, open hearts, and so we thank you. Now, one of you, when you were coming up to me to say thank you, said, I need you to do something because I heard about two podcasts and I'm mixed up. One is the Legacy Podcast, right? Do I have that right, Bethany? And you can find that on the church's website or... Apple Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and it's Legacy, Pod Legacy Women's, and then mine is, you can just find it under Janie Ortland. it's called He Restores My Soul, but that's different than Legacy, you want to look up that Legacy one, and that's where you're sending your questions to, so if you're on your phone, I won't think you're playing games, I think you're, you know, texting a question. One other thing, uh, is that Sherry very kindly recommended one of my books last night, and I brought a couple to give away today. It's the book on uh, teaching your children about marriage, a child's first book about marriage, God's Way is Always Best. Um, this is for younger children, maybe ages three to nine or so. Let, let's teach them about marriage, God's way, before the world does. Uh, I brought two copies, and I'm happy to give them away. So let's think of a good way to give this away. How about, um, I'll leave these up here afterwards, and um, no, we're not going to have a mad dash. What we'll do is we'll say, is there, is there a woman who has just found out for the very first time that she is going to be a grandmother soon? I see you. All right, this is your first grandchild? All right, this is for you up here afterwards. Then, is there um, an aunt in here, maybe a single woman, who doesn't have children of her own, but she has nieces and nephews she loves to relate to? Anyone in here like that? Yes? All right. I'm not sure which one this goes to. You can talk about, oh, there is one back there and there's one up here, right? Okay, well, we'll put that here. Oh, and there's one back there. All right, you'll have to choose numbers or something. But this is for someone who's not yet married but has children that she loves and wants to give to them and wants to have something to read and talk to them about when they're together. So this is for one of the three of you. Good luck. Oh, we don't believe in luck, do we? May God bless you as you choose. <laughs> I get myself into trouble. Sorry about that. Well, we're going to take the next 40 to 45 minutes and hit our last topic. Oh, my goodness. I've been asked uh, to speak from the title of my first book called Fearlessly Feminine. And Jake asked me to speak about being content in God's design for us as women. I'm praying that this final session will bring together all the different strands that the Lord has helped Julie and I weave in this conference together of putting Christ first, treasuring Him, of seeking true godliness, of, of dealing with that inevitable envy that comes up, and then also of walking through suffering, and somehow crown us 
as we walk out today with the joy and dignity of being a woman of God, of bearing His image on us as His daughter. I'm praying that this final session will help you to develop a, a deeper confidence in who you are as a woman, as a daughter of the king of the universe. I'm praying that we will all leave with a, a fresh loveliness and a, a deeper dignity as we each individually determine what we believe the Bible is teaching about gender roles, masculinity and femininity, and then deciding how to best communicate those beliefs in the world into which God has called us. God is the one who created us, male and female. It's there at the very beginning of Scripture. And it pleased Him to create each of us uniquely as a woman. He chose us individually for this time in history, this time of such sexual confusion and chaos. So I'm praying that he will help us to welcome his design for us at his time. I'd like us to think about two questions in this final section together. The first one is, what do we as women today believe about gender roles? And then the second question is, how can we best live that out in the world where we find ourselves? How can we best communicate those beliefs? A few years ago, a young woman came to me. I'll, I'll call her Lisa. It wasn't her real name, but Lisa was asking for some, an older woman, just to listen to her, guide her, perhaps counsel her as I was able. Her father left her mother when she was just two years old, and her mother remarried, but divorced her stepfather when Lisa was 12. A year later, her mother moved in with her female lover. There was nothing of Christ in this home. Lisa went to college and came to faith in Christ. And now she had fallen in love with a man who was in seminary and was going to be a pastor. And she came to me saying, I have no idea what it means to be a Christian woman. I'm so confused with all I see around me. And so I thought I would take some of what we discussed in our time together and just share it with you and see what God wants to do with it among us. We started off with that first question, well, well what do you believe, Lisa, about gender roles? Let's define what I'm talking about when I, I talk about a gender role. That's R-O-L-E. Not R-O-L-L. -L. We know about our gender roles, don't we? <laughs> but by a gender role, what I mean is our distinct capacities as women, not just as a human being, but as women. Why did God make me a woman and not a man? What can I do with my distinctive feminine energy and purpose and satisfaction because I am a woman and not a man. What motivates me and fulfills me as a woman? My distinct capacities, your distinct capacities as a woman. I also mean not just your distinct capacities, but also your particular God-given duties as a woman. Your assignment from God as one of his daughters. What tasks or jobs or, or duties has he given you as a woman that a man cannot do? I hope you'll try to answer those two questions or that, those 
two parts of that one question for yourself. What do you feel are your distinct capacities and particular duties as a woman? But let me just stimulate your own thinking by sharing a few of mine as I've had to work through what it means to be a woman in this, these days. I have thought mostly throughout my life of five main particular duties or distinctive capacities that I have as a woman. I believe the Bible teaches there are certain things that I should embrace as a woman, roles that display my distinct feminine capacities, my womanly duties. The first one is the very first word that God ever uses when he speaks about his creation of woman. It's in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. You probably know that word, and you might not like it very much, but let's think about it for a minute. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. Hello, we all know that, don't we? <laughs> A man alone is a dangerous thing. Um, I should be careful. All many men here are alone today, right? Home with your children, and your, well, they'll have you soon. He goes on to say, "The Lord." These are the Lord's words that Moses is recording here in Genesis two eighteen. I will make him a what? A helper fit for him. That's the very first adjective that God ever used to describe us as women, a helper. Now sometimes we get tired of that word. Help the little ones cry. Help the church office calls. Help the neighbor asks. It can be kind of tiring, but it's a wonderful, wonderful word. It's a very godlike quality. A helper is a, a, a supporter, an advocate. It's a strong word. It's not a weak word. A helper gives aid or support from a position of strength or wisdom or, or gifts or experience. It's a very godlike quality that God has placed on us as his daughters. It is a name used of God himself. Deuteronomy 33:29 says, "The Lord is your helper." We're very much like our Lord when we help. Hebrews 13:6 says, "The Lord is my helper. What can man do to me?" You see, God knew that the men in this world needed more than the companionship of animals. God could have created another man for Adam, but he didn't. He created a woman, our mother, Eve, a helper, suitable for him. The Bible says here, I will make him a helper fit for him or suitable for him, appropriate, corresponding to a, a true counterpart, a unique compatibility. There doesn't have to be competition. Let's be women who give up trying to duplicate the men in our lives. We don't need to. Let's savor the distinctions. That makes life interesting. You see, not only did God make us women, he made us for something. He made us to be helpers. Now, if we're married, I know some of us are not in this room, but for those of us who are married, he's calling us to a particular kind of help in our marriage, to helping our husbands. But I think the word applies to every woman. So, first of all, I have to ask myself, am I willing to accept my role as a helper in society? Or do I say, oh, Lord, I just need some time off. I don't want anybody else coming for help. Let's ask the Lord 
to strengthen us to be good helpers, to fulfill his call on us as helpers. Secondly, I, I had to come to terms with being a mother. Now, I'm not talking about just uh, the role of bearing a child and, and raising it. I, I see in scripture the idea of women mothering those around them. Think of Deborah as a mother in Israel. Right now, Ray and I are, are older. We've just stepped down from uh, Ray's senior pastor role at our church, Emmanuel. But, and so in our network, we're in the Acts 29 network, we get many calls as mom and dad. <laughs> we're, we're mom and dad to some of these younger pastors and wives. That's a beautiful thing that any woman can be. You don't need to be married. You don't need to have children to be a mother. There's a verse that I think applies to this in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 15. It says, Paul is saying, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. That's what a mother does. She spends herself and she is spent. She, all those people pulling on her for eternal purposes. So a helper, a mother. Myself, I had to work through being a wife. I wasn't sure that uh, God was calling me into marriage until I met Ray, then I was sure. But uh, before that, I, I was headed to what was then known as the Congo as a single missionary. Ray said, oh, no, you're not. And so I took that as from the Lord. But some of us who are wives in here, we need to figure out what it means to be a wife today. We're going to talk about that more later on in this talk. Those of you who aren't wives, your role as a woman is to support the marriages around you. And if God does bring a man to you that you believe he wants you to marry, then enter into that wholeheartedly. One man, one woman for one life together. Now, for me, another distinctive role was to be a teacher um, through speaking and writing and discipling. The Lord gave me Proverbs 31, 26. Maybe this verse is dear to some of you. Maybe it will become today. It says, she opens her mouth in teaching and kindness, the law of, the law of kindness, is on her tongue. Our words are very important. Many of you probably teach. You're probably teaching either in Sunday school or at home with homeschooling or in a public setting. Many women teach. It's a wonderful role to embrace as a woman. I think of that verse in 2 Peter 1.15. It says, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. That's what a teacher does. We need to be women who are giving the next generation, the coming generation, things that they can recall at any time. I told you I'd give you five. We're running out of time for this section. Let me just quickly say, I, I had to... One of the roles that God had to help me with was to be a strong woman. I tend to use my strength in a, a poor way, in a caustic, could even be termed cruel way at times. And so he gave me Proverbs 31, 17, and 25. She dresses herself with strength. Strength and dignity are her clothing. So I had to ask myself, how can I be strong in this situation and bring dignity to it, not hurt and pain? So those are five distinctives that I've worked through in my own life. Think it through before your Lord. What does he want you to do as a woman? Why did he make you a woman and put you in this specific geographic location, in this time in history. What do you believe about gender roles? What work has God given you to do here on earth that only you can do? When you see him face to face, what do you want to present before him as your joyful 
delighted service for all he has done for you. Think about it. Always in light of Ephesians 5.10, it says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? I love the first word, try. <laughs> you don't have to be perfect. Just try to discern. Try to make sense. Lord, what would bring a smile to your face about my life over this afternoon or this next week or this next year or in this relationship? Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, as you think through in your own life what it means to be a woman, why God made you a woman, you also need to think how you can best live that out today. How can you best communicate your beliefs about gender roles in your words, in your life? We live in a very confusing time. I, I love how you put it, Julie, that I think it was in your first message, God creates and the world corrupts. We see that, don't we? Over the past 60 years, there have risen drastic changes in how we live our lives and how we raise our children. I was born in 1950, back in the Dark Ages, and I grew up in a very different world. I can remember getting our first TV set. It only had three channels. It was amazing. Black and white, but oh boy, do I remember. Back then, the, the family hadn't fractured. Divorce was a rarity, and the pathogens of stress and overload hadn't blossomed to wage war on us yet. The elderly most often lived near or with extended family. You won't believe this, but there were no R-rated movies yet because they didn't need to be rated back in those days. People still fe felt shame about living together before they were married. There were no computers or video games or cell phones. Now think of the difference. That was 70 years ago. Think of the difference just two generations, span of two generations has brought. Our roles as men and women, whoa, we're constantly accusing each other, aren't we? There is a very adversarial relationship between men and women these days. Kind of a, I dare you. Our, our sexuality, there's so much confusion and debate. Some parents are being told to encourage their young children to decide which gender they want to be. And then the family is supposed to embrace that. What eight-year-old child can make that kind of decision? Think of the differences in our duties to family and community. The modern view is that the family is kind of passe. My desire as an individual is what's really important, and it should be the center of all my decisions. What feels right to me should be my first priority, independent of how it would hurt or harm those around me. Listen to this quote from the Journal for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. By any standard, it has been an extraordinary transformation. Sixty years ago, homosexuality was the practice of a small and virtually unseen minority, a marginalized subculture viewed with suspicion and distaste by society at large. How quickly things have changed. Within the span of a generation or two, our society seems to have moved from suspicion and condemnation through grudging tolerance to open acceptance and promotion. And now it seems to have gone all the way to suspicion and condemnation of those who speak ill of homosexuality. I might add to this quote and even presenting lawsuits against those who will not use their talents to support a different lifestyle than what we believe the Bible teaches. How do we embrace and communicate our beliefs in this kind of culture? Well, 
let me offer two ways that have helped me. The first is I've had to think through how that culture out there that God's called me to live in affects me. And then I've had to think through how can I be effective in it. So let's think for just a minute about the culture we live in. Those of us who believe the Bible and long to follow God wholeheartedly find ourselves almost overwhelmed at times. We sense that all is not right, but we don't have a convincing apologetic with which to engage. Sometimes we fear sounding old-fashioned or even bigoted. What do we do when people we know and love, sometimes they live next door to us, they accuse us of being cruel or purposefully blind to their beliefs and desires. In fact, any disapproval can now be labeled as hate speech. When we moved into our new home 15, 16 years ago now, it, it's a large place now with 2,000 dwellings, but back then we were the 30th house, so there, there wasn't a lot, so the neighbors got to know each other, and right across the street, a friend and her husband lived. I'll call him Alan and Mary. Uh, a year after we moved in, Mary got very sick with cancer, and within two years, she had died. Um, we had become as best friends as you could be. She was a believer. Uh, they went to a, a local church. They had one son who was 15 at the time. A year later, um, did I say his name was Alan? <laughs> Alan introduced me uh, to his friend, Craig. And very soon, my husband and I realized that uh, Craig had moved in. And through it all, even as we became better acquainted with Craig, they knew that we were Christians. They knew that my husband was a minister. And it was really hard. It was hard for them. It was hard for us. And then when gay marriage was legalized, they were married. And, you know, it was so kind of them. They came over to our home. We'd had them there for dinner. We'd been in each other's homes. And... and uh, Alan said, you know, we know that you won't like this, we know that you won't accept this, but we want you to know we were married yesterday. That's the culture we live in. How do we love well? How do we represent Jesus well? We, I wish I could give you from personal example, we haven't done the best job at that, but I'm sure some of you find yourself in the same situation. Michael Medved wrote this, to say that if you don't like the culture, then turn it off, is like saying, if you don't like the smog, stop breathing. It just doesn't work, does it? Our culture is the air we breathe. It's impossible to completely withdraw into a Christian cocoon. Now, there, there are two ways I've been affected by my culture. I'm sure you have too, not only through these neighbors that I'm living with, but intellectually and emotionally, I, I've been affected by the feminist heroes that I see displayed before me in our culture. In recent times, we've changed how we define our feminine heroes. In the not-too-distant past, a woman could receive honor and respect if she gave herself to her husband, her children, her home. She was esteemed and admired for her willing sacrifice for those she loved. She was encouraged to yield to her maternal longings, to care for her husband, to maintain her home, and devote herself to her children. These values today, though, are, are almost despised by some. I, I've had people ask me when I was full-time at home, aren't you bored? What are you doing there? You have your teaching degree. Why aren't you out, out teaching? Because in our culture, it, it's hard to think of a woman being truly satisfied if she's not earning a regular paycheck or be give, being given power and respect outside of her home. Think of who are your godly feminine heroes today. Why those women? 
What is heroic to you as far as gender roles are concerned? Will you become a hero for the rising generation? So our heroes can affect how we think about this, our feminine heroes. Another way we're affected by our culture is through our feminist goals. The, the women's movement has tried to ease a mother's guilt if she decides to leave her children and home and give herself to the marketplace. Almost anything today done in the name of a woman's independence is celebrated as raw courage. It's a good thing. Over and over again through advertising and sitcoms and talk shows, through books and movies, through speeches and political movements, we've been told as women that our true happiness will come when we learn to enhance our own self-respect out of all connection with others, even those whom we naturally should love the most. The thoroughly culturized woman today answers to no one but herself. She wants to be free, independent, successful, and unimpeded especially by men. The sanctity of self has permeated all aspects of our modern life. Let's be careful. Let's recognize it. It has even permeated the education of our children. Some of you know I, I taught second grade for 13 years. 12 of those years were in public schools and one in a private school. And I was surprised I shouldn't have been, but I was, at some of the children's literature that rose to popularity in the elementary classroom. When I was uh, working on my master's degree in curriculum development, I was warned not to use the traditional family as a role model, because for many students, it was just passe. They didn't know what a traditional family looked like. Certain books were acclaimed as authoritative reading in the elementary classroom to teach our children a liberated perspective on women's issues. I found them in some cases very offensive. They denigrate romance and love, manhood and womanhood, so that the sweet appears bitter and the bitter appears enticing. Rather than a glad celebration of womanhood, they confront us with an ugly, acidic attack on men. I brought a couple with me just, just to sh show you. This is called the paper bag princess. I don't know if any of you have ever seen this. Um, let me read you the first page. Elizabeth was a beautiful princess. She lived in a castle and had expensive princess clothes. She was going to marry a prince named Ronald. Now, in this story, a dragon comes, you can see him here on the front cover, and carries off Ronald. The dragon destroys the castle, all of the princess's clothes and everything, so she dresses in a paper bag and sets about to rescue Ronald. She chases the dragon down, and she shows tremendous cleverness and courage. I like that. I want our young women to be filled with bright courage. Finally, she, she plays upon the dragon's arrogance and gets him to perform all these marvelous feats of strength, so he falls asleep exhausted. Elizabeth then enters the dragon's castle where he has Ronald captured. And she rescues Ronald. Here's the page where she rescues Ronald. And this is what Ronald says. Elizabeth walked right over the dragon and opened the door to the cave. There was Prince Ronald. He looked at her and said, Elizabeth, you are a mess. You smell like ashes, your hair is all tangled, and you are wearing a dirty old paper bag. Come back when you are dressed like a real princess. Now, this is how it ends. Ronald, said Elizabeth, your clothes are really pretty, and your hair is very neat. You look like a real prince, but you are a bum. They didn't get married after all.
That's how it ends. Now, <laughs> Ronald did spurn Elizabeth. That's wrong. That wasn't nice. We don't want men that spurn women. But what is obnoxious to me is this ideal of female autonomy and the denigration of a happy, selfless romance and marriage between a man and a woman. The woman is always seen as being in charge and the man is a petty, superficial jerk. Within the larger backdrop of our divorce culture, some children's books portray marriage as a trap. I brought one of them. This is Princess Smarty Pants. It starts this way. Princess Smarty Pants was a beautiful, rich princess who did not want to get married because she enjoyed being a Ms. and wanted to do exactly as she pleased. Her parents insisted that she married, uh, marry, of course, and so what she would do for each suitor who came, she would set impossible tasks. Just when she felt, the author uses the word safe, safe from marriage, Prince Swashbuckle appears. And he showed up and completed all of her near impossible tasks. Now this is how the book ends. Here's Prince Swashbuckle. So what does she do? Instead of keeping her promise, she gave him a magic kiss, you can see here, which turned him into a gigantic warty toad. Now this is how it ends. Listen. Prince Swashbuckle left in a big hurry. When the other princes heard what had happened to Prince Swashbuckle, none of them wanted to marry Smarty Pants, and so she lived happily ever after. What does that tell our little girls? You see that I know it's written with tongue in cheek, and some of you might be thinking, oh, Janie, those are just meant to be humorous. There is a reason behind that humor. The message comes through loud and clearly. Happiness is found in doing exactly as we please. What kind of heroine is this for our young girls? What does this teach them about marriage, about how to live among men, about what should fill our dreams and drive our goals? We've been accustomed to blaming men for wronging us through the centuries. Now we're told it's time to demand our fair share. The feminist mindset minimizes the differences between men and women in the gender-blending games they like to play. I've seen it played out in our own family, where one family member, uh, a female in our family, is a model. And for some jobs, she's turned down. And the reason <clears throat> excuse me, they give is that she has too classic a look, too feminine a look. They want more of a unisex look. You see, we begin to think that our, our sexual differences are trivial and that casual, loveless sexual experience is normative. We set up our children for things that ought not to happen before marriage because we let them think that pleasure is a sacred ideal. It's our right to please ourselves. It's almost held up as our duty. We're taught always to pursue pleasure and minimize pain. We've lost the mystery of the creation of male and female. We, we forget that our femininity is not a curse. Oh no, it's a gift. A heaven-sent gift to be received with open hands. It was God's idea to create men and women. Your femininity isn't a problem. It's God's strategy for today. Can truth ever be replaced? What is true about being a woman? What connects us with every other female since Eve? What does God, the one who created us as women, say to us throughout the ages? How can we be effective for Christ in our culture. 
Oh, we need great biblical wisdom, don't we? This isn't a whole conference on biblical womanhood, but we want to end here. There must be a convincing alternative today, in today's culture. We can be part of presenting that. A voice for biblical femininity rising and flowing from us as Christian women. The truth is that feminism is partially right. And it's brought much needed change for women. I'm glad I get to vote. I'm glad that I received equal pay as the men I was teaching with. I'm grateful for that. As Carolyn McCulley puts in her book, Radical Womanhood, she says this, men do sin. They can diminish women's accomplishments and limit women's freedoms for self-centered reasons. Some men sexually assault women. Some men abuse their wives and children. Many men degrade women. Feminism didn't rise up because of fabricated offenses. So let's not point at feminism and say it's all wrong, it came out of nothing. That's not true. As a movement, Carolyn goes on to say, feminine arose because women were being sinned against. I think that is a fair argument, but feminine, feminism also arose because women were sinning in response. That's a classic human problem, she says. Sinners tend to sin in response to being sinned against. It's true, isn't it? But Jesus came to rescue us from this cycle of sin and sinful response. Only the gospel can offer both sides forgiveness and restoration. The fearlessly feminine woman learns to abandon the tyranny of self and bow in glad humility before her savior, savior and verbalize to him just as his own mother did so many years ago. Behold the handmaiden of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word, not my ways. What will this look like in our lives as women today, in our culture? Well, God asks us to be mediators of truth and wisdom. I've already mentioned Proverbs 31, 26. She opens her mouth in wisdom. Let's not be afraid to open our mouth, but let's let it be wisdom that comes out. The teaching of kindness is on her tongues. God asks us to be mediators of truth and wisdom. He also challenges us to defend the rights of the poor and needy. Proverbs 31.20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. This takes courage and generosity and energy and selflessness. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Let's not be weak, wimpy women. Oh, let's ask God to close up, clothe us with his strength. This requires daily interaction with God and his children and our needy world. What takes more courage, after all? Self-absorption? self-sacrifice. To be fearlessly feminine means choosing to make decisions based on what is best for those we love rather than what is most convenient or satisfying to us. The best apologetic for biblical femininity is a confident and content woman, happy in Christ, eager to carefully and convincingly communicate her faith. That means, if we're single, we will count God as more worthy than our needs for human companionship and sexual fulfillment. We'll lean heavily into Christ to fulfill all the deepest desires of our hearts. He knows them. If we're married, we will seek to live above our vacillating feelings so that our changing emotions won't dictate our level of commitment to our marriage. 
We won't think of submission in our marriage relationship as a sign of weakness or victimization, recognizing that Jesus Christ himself submitted to his Father's will and way. We will love our husbands as unto the Lord. In our mothering and grandmothering, what will it mean? We'll learn to make difficult choices, professionally, financially, personally, as we serve the little people God is calling us to influence for him. We'll seek to set an emotional tone in our homes that will nurture our children as we postpone our own personalized dreams and make sacrifices to inculcate godly values in the rising generations. What about in our homes? Whether it be in our dorm room, or if we're single, in our apartment, if we're married, in our homes, if we're empty nesters, we'll still want to think about this. We will learn to see those four walls that close us in as vitally and eternally significant, making them a foretaste of our heavenly home that we're going to someday. We'll want everyone who enters to have a little foretaste of heaven. Jesus, I mentioned this last night in, in John 14, verses 1 through 3, says, I go to prepare a place for you. He understands how important a place is. We all need a place. And places take a lot of time to develop. Our, our hearts empathized and, and cried out as we heard Julie tell us of how she saw her place go up in smoke. Oh, my. We all know it takes a lot of work to make a home. I, some of you know one of my favorite cartoons is of that little toddler sitting on his daddy's lap and they're looking at the wedding album and... He looks up at his daddy and says, Oh, so that's the day mommy came to work for us. <laughs> and I think we feel like that sometimes. <laughs> that's what it takes to build a place, to build a home. Proverbs 14.1 puts it this way, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Think of a woman you admire. Someone who lives out her faith every day of the week. Is she, as some in our culture would have us believe, repressed? Dispirited? Is she a victim? of male domination and patriarchal society? Are her moral values something to be scoffed? Or is she one of the most contented women you know? Is her life one that you would like to emulate? Now I'm sure in this crowd there are many who are working full-time outside your home. Maybe you have the choice to work or not. I understand that's, that's my situation right now. I've, I've chosen to work. Others here may have no choice but to work. You need to, to live. And perhaps you're working in a tough environment. I, I've been there too, where I had to work. I know what you're going through. God is able to guard our feminine hearts wherever he has called us. Let's not be women who let the hardening forces of aggressive self-promotion and conflict ruin our walk of faith and our testimony to the world. The world outside our home needs godly femininity as well. Let's not be intimidated into a distortion of the women God made us to be in this day and age, 2020 here in America. I want to call each one of us to exult in our God-given femininity. Let's be women who welcome God's word and his ways in our life. Let's stop trying to bring God our own version of what it means to be a woman, as if he didn't consider our generation, 
our political situation, our culture, when he penned his eternal message to us all, God is calling us to play our part in his grand plan. I want to help nurture in this generation a new joy, a new energy in being what only God's daughters can be. Godly women, godly wives, godly daughters and mothers and grandmothers and aunts and nieces and sisters. Let's not give way to the corrosive influence of our culture through silence or ignorance or fear. That means we will get to become a daughter of Sarah. I love how Peter, you know he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible from last night, I told you. I love how he puts it in 1 Peter chapter 3, Verses 1 through 6, we won't take time to look at them all right now, but verse 6 is wonderful. He's talking about what it means to be a godly woman. And he says this in verse 6, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, is that a hard verb for some of you to hear? It's here in scripture. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, she looked at her husband as her earthly Lord, in a way, calling him Lord, and you are her children, or some translate it daughters, and you are her daughters, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I love that Peter recognizes there are a lot of things that are frightening in this world. Our culture frightens me sometimes, but I don't have to fear it. I don't have to give way to it. You see, we will, by God's grace and with his divine guidance, not allow our culture to overtake us and to, to dirty our souls and our minds or, or, or fritter away our lives on materialistic pursuits or, or give our husbands or children or homes a back row seat while we strive to maintain that center row image. We'll not forget that heaven is real and that our choices now have eternal consequences. Will you heed the call to be fearlessly feminine? Will you go deep into contentment as God gives you the grace to? Ask him for it. Ask him to make Jesus your greatest treasure, your precious jewel. Ask him to help you grow in godliness the longer you know him. Ask him to bless you with a heart that is content to find your refuge in him, no matter what you're looking at out there that might cause you to envy or what suffering he asks you to go through as he walks through with you, his presence very near. Will you ask him to make you fearlessly feminine as you follow his design to be content in Christ alone. You've been listening to a conference given for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.